This is Yonder. Episode 30 of the Yonder Podcast. I'm Jeff Robbins, and on this podcast, we talk to people about remote work, distributed companies, telecommuting, virtual teams, uh, all those different words for the same kind of thing. This week, we're talking with Leila von Alvensleben, who is a UX designer and remote work mentor at Hanno. Uh, Hanno's a digital product design and development company, uh, mostly based in Europe. Um, interesting conversation with Lila talking about, um, design thinking. She has a design background and, and, uh, Hanno's PPP methodology, uh, amongst a whole bunch of other things. Good, good stuff. Um, if you're not already on the Yonder newsletter, if you're not getting the night Yonder newsletter, uh, yonder.io slash newsletter is where you can sign up for that. We're sending that out weekly, chock full of, uh, good information about remote work and thinking about remote work, making it work better. Um, let's see what else next week. Uh, well, a week, about a week and a half from the publishing of this podcast, uh, is the Yonder Conference. It's happening October 9th through 11th in La Jolla, California. We've got just a couple of spots that have opened up, and uh, so you might still be able to get in. Yonder.io slash events is where you can read uh, more about that. It's a small event. It's a roundtable-type conference discussion, uh, two days of just talking about all the ins and outs of remote work. It's a, it's a private event, so we can kind of dig deep uh, into some of the more sensitive stuff uh, and that kind of thing. But yeah, yonder.io slash events for last minute uh, registration if you're, if you're interested in, in that. Uh, all right, well, let's get to our discussion with Lila von Albensleben. Hi, Lila. Welcome to the Yonder podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Uh, so where are you talking to us from? So I'm currently in Paris. Um, I just got back from L.A. Actually, recently I was on holiday in the States, but I'm back in Paris now. And you work uh at Hanno there. Tell us, tell us more about Hanno and what Hanno does. Yeah, so um, Hanno is a digital product design team. And we're, about, we're a team of about 10 people. We're spread around the world. Some of us are in different countries in Europe, uh, Southeast Asia. Sometimes, you know, we travel. We might be somewhere else, like in the U.S., but we all work remotely. Some of us travel, some don't. Um, in terms of what we do, we build digital products like websites and apps, and we especially help out with um, the user experience of these products. Uh, we've also uh, worked on product strategy, communication strategy. We do a lot of user research and testing, so trying to understand 
how people behave, what people think about a digital product when they're using it. Um, and yeah, so we, we design these products, uh, both from, a web development side or app development. Um, but also, you know, we do a lot of visual stuff and strategy around that. And how long has the company been around? So Hano has been around for five years and I've been a part of it for about three years now. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Uh, this is an interesting uh, case study, <laughs> if you will, uh, um, because so much of the focus of what you do is around design and UX and even like user research is not something we oftentimes think of as happening in a, in a remote environment. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, it's not, it's not typically done remotely, but I guess because we're working with digital products and everything we do is online and easily accessible from anywhere, it's also easier to do user research and user testing, uh, remotely. Whereas if we were doing, um, user experience for physical products, uh, or for services, that would obviously be much more difficult. Right, right, Mm. right. Yeah. And so... What have you found about um, collaborating? You know, what, like how how has it been to to what what? Uh, I, there's so many questions. Uh, um, collaborating around these visual things like this is oftentimes uh, a thing that we conventionally think of. Um, designers sort of looking at storyboards together over each other's shoulders or sort of collaborating on, on things. How, how, how do you collaborate amongst your team? So, yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of people think that it's not, not that it's not possible, but that it's, is not as good if you do it remotely. If, if you try to like brainstorm together or come up with uh, concepts and visual ideas, um, and yeah, it, it's different for sure. And, uh, depending on what we're working on, it will, it might take maybe a different kind of way to approach it. But, um, what's great is that these days there are a lot of tools out there that allow you to work synchronously and view things together at the same time and see what people are pointing at and, and looking at and what they're doing. So, uh, you have the tools, um, but something I, I often say as well is that tools are good, but processes are even more important. So tools will keep updating themselves. You'll keep having like the new, the new Skype or the new, uh, collaborative, uh, online whiteboard or whatever it is. Um, but what's important is to see, okay, how are we as a team going to use this tool and what are the kind of guidelines that we're going to, to follow and, and what kind of energy are we going to bring when we meet online and that kind of stuff? Um, yeah. So it's yeah, possible. Talk, yeah. Talk to me about some of the processes. So, for example, when I joined Hano, um, well, I joined them because I was writing my master's thesis on um, design thinking, but more specifically on how to do design thinking in remote teams. So design thinking, for those who don't know what it is, is is some people call it a process or a mindset, but it's, it's a way of solving problems. So almost like a methodology, you have like six, five to six steps that you can, uh, you, you go through from, uh, the beginning when you're doing research to then proto, um, ideation and prototyping and testing things and iterating on things. 
Um, and you can use it in many things, not just for uh, designing digital products or designing tangible products, but you can use design thinking as a process also in, in a lot of businesses to to find solutions for any kind of strategy if you want. Um, but anyway, I was writing about that and design thinking tended to be a process that was done in the same room, physically um, in the same room. And I was looking at how remote teams could do this. So in terms of processes, what we realized was that, uh, for example, in a, when you would do design thinking processes in a room, you would, you would tend to spend long hours, maybe the whole day around uh, a wall full of post-it notes and you'd be uh, ideating a lot and coming back to each other all the time and, and physically you'd be standing a lot to give yourself some energy. Mm-hmm. And as a remote team, if you spend, I think, more than half an hour <laughs> or an hour on a screen looking at each other, uh, first of all, the energy is not the same at all because you're not bouncing ideas off of each other. And physically, like your physical presence has so much power over, has such a big influence on on the on the general energy of the team and online it's difficult to transmit that because you don't see the whole body and you just don't feel people the same way. So we realized that it was better to work, for example, in short spurts of time and say, okay, we're going to do a 30 minute blast of brainstorming. And then we're going to leave the screen or we're going to do stuff individually and then come back together. So that's one example of a process that would be different. Um, if you're working remotely, then also when it comes to communicating um, online, it's harder to understand, to know who wants to speak next or, Some people feel like they can't interrupt other people. So Mm -hmm. usually we tend to all mute our mics when we're on a, on a video conference call with, with more than two people. And, um, then we use a lot of, uh, hand gestures or visual gestures to make people understand. Okay. We agree with your idea, like thumbs up, uh, without having to like unmute yourself and, and, you know, say, yes, I agree or, or you nod your head vigorously so that people can, the, the, the little body that they can see, little body language that they can see, that has to be easily visible. Right. Um, so there's things like that. And then in terms of collaborating across different time zones, for example, we've set up a system which we call um, the PPP, which is Plans, Progress, and Problems, which is basically a, a Google Doc where everybody writes in the same document like what they plan to do tomorrow, what they've done so far, and what problems they've encountered. Um, we've also written a blog post about this. If anybody wants to Google PPP on Hanno's, um, Hanno's, uh, blog, but, um, basically this, this is a system which allows us all to kind of pass the baton from one person to the next. And so you can see what the person has done before. They'll add links and relevant, you know, relevant information that allows you to see what they've done. Um, we communicate a lot on Slack and everything, which is an instant messaging tool, but, having this one document where like all the information is this one page and it's, 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 we keep it short and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we share it with our clients is a very useful tool to make sure that we're literally all on the same page. Um, and if you don't have these kind of processes set up, it becomes complicated because then you easily miss out on information because you haven't communicated the right way. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah stuff can get lost. And I think people that are not familiar with remote work assume that everything will get lost. Um, But Mm -hmm. oftentimes you start to sort of patch together a solution, um, but you need to sit down on a regular basis and look at what's still missing. So coming up with process like this PPP is great because it, 
puts all the pieces together mm-hmm. um, that you need for that kind of collaboration. And we also yeah. say often in our team that we have to over-communicate. So is, if you're not sure, you know, if you've written something on Slack, um, but you've also written it on Asana, which is our project management tool, um, but people aren't responding, then you you have to make sure maybe you should ping somebody or make sure that you get their their reaction or some kind of feedback if you haven't gotten it yet. And it's okay to post things you don't want to post everything on the same channel. So for example, we use Slack for more instant information and Asana for information which needs more depth and more time to be spent on. Um, but we try to make sure that people see this information, that we, we over-communicate it and we chase people. If they haven't replied, then we make sure that <laughs> they find it and we ping them again. <laughs> so, yeah. it, I notice you're not mentioning email. Uh, yeah. what, what role does email play or does it? Or do you try to avoid it? So we don't use email internally within our team. Um, the reason being that we manage really well just with a project manage- management tool and our instant messaging tool. Um, that's enough for us. We The problem with email that we discovered a long time ago, even before I joined, was that it doesn't allow... Well, let's say you start a conversation with one person, but then you forget to like ping somebody else or CC somebody else, or you need to bring them in later. There's all these endless threads um, of information they have to go back to um, and then copy again. And it's just not the right kind of tool to make everything fully transparent. And transparency is really key for effective remote collaboration. So any tool that allows everybody to have access to the same information, same like we use Basecamp sometimes, um, once we start a project with a client, we'll set up a, a project on Basecamp. So Basecamp allows you to do a lot of things also for project management and communication, but it basically is like an email, like you, you select people who are going to be part of, of a Basecamp project. And once they're part of that, all those members will all have access to all the messages that are inside. Um, and then you don't have to worry about, oh, I have to CC this person in the email or whatever. Right. It's, uh, they're in. And that's the same kind of with Asana and Slack. Like once they're part of a channel or they're part of a thread, they're in and you don't have to add them in anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that, that not using email ends up sort of supporting that transparency that much more that, that there's with email, the default is to send a message to a single person, right? That's exactly. sort of what email's oriented towards. Mm-hmm. I, I send an email to you. Whereas uh, using something like Basecamp or uh, Asana even, it has more of a, I'm posting this and anyone can come and see it. It's it's exactly trans- transparent. Everyone, I, there's It's open. It's yeah. uh, collaborative and, and uh, yeah. um, allows that for people. It can um, lead to a bit of, and like too much information sometimes where right. you feel like yeah, you're part of too many channels yeah. and threads. And, and so that's where you have to figure out at some point, okay, can I pull myself out of this group conversation? And then I can come back to it if I want to, it'll still be available to me, but I don't have to be notified every time. Um, so you can, you can, you can have that option with which email is much harder, obviously. Um, but don't get me wrong. We do pull use yourself email. out of a thread. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can, you can pull yourself out of a Slack channel. You can pull yourself out of a, an Asana, a task or a thread, um, or, or a base camp thing. You can still, you can still do that, but you can still come back to it. And all the information you had before is still available, mm-hmm. um, when you need to. So this is quite useful when we have people coming in and out of projects. Um, they might leave a channel maybe for six months and then maybe they need to come back into it again and they can. 
um, and they can catch up if they want to. Otherwise, they'll just participate from one point onwards where it actually concerns them. Um, so yeah, that's one thing. Um, we don't, we don't force people to be part of everything. Of course not. But in terms of email, we still use it. Um, like I use it with, with you, right? Um, so we use it. <laughs> yeah, we use it. We had like 18 emails trying to schedule this. <laughs> I apologize again. <laughs> right. But, um, we definitely do use email with our, you know, with anybody contacting us from, from outside the company. Right. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, so by limiting the, the number of different tools you use, it also sort of helps to make it easier to kind of filter that amount of input because oftentimes, especially I think, uh, people that might work at larger companies, um, some of the ideas of, you know, around, uh, transparency and sort of, you know, I just posted on a message board and everyone can see it, mm -hmm. um, can quickly lead to overload. And it sounds like you're getting overloaded, uh, every, on a regular basis yourself. Are, mm -hmm. are, are there tricks that you found for, for filtering things? Is it just as simple as trying to limit the tools so that you can know where the buttons are to, to, you know, get out of a, uh, a base camp group or get out of a, mm -hmm. um, a Slack channel or, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, we do, we do limit the tools. We do also aim to understand how to use these tools differently. So base camp will be with, for example, people who are on a project with a client and we'll include the client in those, in those conversations. So base camp is, is basically for that mm -hmm. or like huge announcements that you want to make to the team from maybe a personal point of view, um, and you want to write like a long text to explain everything, uh, to, to the team, then we use Basecamp for that. Uh, it's, it's knowing when to use what. So Slack will be for more urgent, instant things or more like conversational topics where you need to go back and forth. And Asana will be specifically connected to tasks and things that need to be done. Um, but yeah, you can still get overloaded. So something that we also do is try to write in a very concise way. So we look for people who are good um, at written communication if they want to join the team or collaborate with us. They have to know how to write not too little and not too much and be really descriptive enough and, and you know, clear, basically. Uh, keep it simple. Keep it clear. Keep your personality. You know, you don't have to become a robot, but mm -hmm. try not to write these long novels because there's so much written communication going on that people don't have time to read all that. Um, so that's one kind of underlying rule. Um, we try to keep things now in, in Slack, you can do threads. So it's like you, somebody will write something, then you try to keep it attached to that thing so that you don't have this huge thing to scroll through. You know, it's only if you're interested in that, you can dive deeper. Uh, for people who, who use Slack, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> difficult to explain. Um, and then we, we, we have these times where people say, I'm going to go in do not disturb mode. So I'm going to be offline for the next two hours so that I can really focus on what I'm doing and I'll be back later. And, and that works as well for people who don't want to be notified as at all. Right. Um, yeah. Talk to me about, um, like real time communication versus, uh, asynchronous stuff. Uh, you're talking about, um, 
Asana and Basecamp and um, mm-hmm. uh, Slack tends to be a little bit more real time, but it's still sort of an archival uh, kind of thing. A lot of companies use Slack as a substitute for email, uh, you know, and and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, design process tends to happen a little bit more a quicker iteration, um, mm. a little bit more real time. Talk to me about sort of the role of those, how those two things interact uh, sure. um, at your company. So we do, um, we do have a lot of, well, not huge amounts. We do have video calls where we will pair with somebody on our team to iterate on something or come up with something new. So usually we'll have two to three people in these calls because we find that's a good number of people to have to, to work on something, um, on a new design, or it can be a document that maybe a proposal we're making for a client, whatever it is. And we always try to use tools, which are, so we'll be on the video call, but we'll have another tool open that we're all looking at at the same time. And these will be tools like a Google document where you can see what everybody's doing, or there'll be an online whiteboard, like mural or real time board, um, where you can paste pictures and post-its and text. And it's like a big virtual wall where everybody can see what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's important to find these kind of uh, tools. There's also like Figma where you can do wireframing. Um, and they're tools, they're, they're software that are in the cloud. And meaning that everything is being updated constantly, synchronously. You know, it's not like back in the days when I had a file, I had a Word document, I'd have to save it and then upload it to the server and then somebody has to download it and then you save it every time with another name, like version one, version two, right. version 500. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I realized that both yeah. people are editing version 500 and now there's yeah. <laughs> 501A and 501B exactly. and it's a fork of each other. Yeah. Yeah. So... Luckily, now we have, um, you know, you'll have one one link. Usually it's a link. It's not a file anymore. You open that link. You share that link. Everybody's on the same, looking at exactly the same thing, um, but doing their own thing. And, um, yeah, that's that's how we're, how we're uh, working on stuff. And at the same time, we'll be on a video call so we can see each other. We can see each other's faces. And we can pair like this for... I would say maximum an hour or two mm-hmm. with, you know, before, well, we definitely have, if it's two hours, we'll definitely have a little break in between. And so we're communicating in real time, hearing our voices, seeing each other and bouncing back and forth. I think that's something you do a lot when you're working remotely. You're, you're bouncing back and forth between different apps on your laptop or any computer mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and browser tabs. Um, and that comes very naturally to me right now, but I know that sometimes I see friends, of mine who look at me when I'm with, who are not used to this. And like, you're, you have so much stuff open at the same time. It's amazing. And yeah, you, you learn also how to like minimize those tabs sometimes and say, okay, I I can't have everything open. Um, yeah. So what are you, what are your favorite tools? Um, I would say our go-to tools that we use all the time, definitely Google drive and everything that comes with it, the Google suite, um, whether it's Google spreadsheets and Google docs and all of that. Um, we also use um, Mural a lot, which is an online uh, whiteboard. Like I described before, it's like a virtual online wall. And anything, imagine you have a wall in your office and you stick stuff to it, uh, which you often do when you're working in design. Um, this is the same thing, but it's, it's virtual. 
So you can put JPEGs and GIFs and you can also put links, which is pretty cool because it's very, you can just drop anything in there and then you can, anybody can, can access it and you can draw in it. You can put post it. So that's cool. Um, we use mural.co for yeah, mural.co. Um, we have also used real time board, uh, which is realtimeboard.com, I think, which is a similar, similar product. Um, but mainly we use, we have used mural in the past. And what else? I said Google Drive, Mural. Um, we use Zoom for video calls. Mm-hmm. Um, we use that a lot. Uh, Zoom, we've, we think, has been the most reliable tool lately I hear for that from video lots calls. of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets all excited about uh, Google Hangouts and, you know, go jump in mm-hmm. <laughs> with Google Hangouts. And after about three or four months, it's like, maybe we should look around for another solution. Yeah. Every time I, think, I, I open it, my computer steam starts coming out of my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of other tools tend to crash more often. Yeah. Um, uh, Skype, I just try to never use again. Um, yeah, we've, we've graduated past that as graduated. a society somehow. Exactly. <laughs> um, and what's cool about Zoom is that we've also used it for webinars. We've used it for workshops. So you can invite a lot of people on it we've i mean and you can have hundreds of people on it as well if you want um and you can you can use you can basically when i do when i used to do the online workshops before you can um you can split people up into subgroups or sub teams and you can create different rooms within zoom so interesting as a yeah as a workshop facilitator sometimes you need people to do teamwork but if they're doing teamwork, they're obviously, since we're all in the same space, they're going to talk over each other. And then some really nice woman told me once, I wrote a blog post about online workshops, and she was like, why didn't you use Zoom rooms? And then I checked it out, and I realized you can you can split people up, and then as a host of the conversation, I can jump from one room to the next, and it won't they won't interfere each other because they're basically, they can only see those people in that room. Wow. Um, yeah. It's neat. And then you can also have other tools on Zoom where you can like draw or point at. The, so you have like all as a as a main host, you can pick from a bunch of tools where you can um, point at people. You can mute people. You have like a lot of power. I like, I like muting people <laughs> or you can make somebody else the host. Um, you also have a chat in Zoom, which isn't anything M- amazing. People's, I, we, yeah. I laugh about it, but it's actually kind of necessary sometimes because oh, yeah. it will be like, um someone's phone will ring and so they walk out of their office forgetting to ha- have muted their computer and pick up mm-hmm. the phone in the other room and now start talking and you're trying to still have a meeting and it's difficult because they're in the other room and they're not near their computer so to be able to mute them remotely is is uh important yeah definitely so yeah i i think zoom is a good one and then of course like i mentioned before we have slack is a uh, something we use all the time and uh, Asana and then um, those are I would say the our go to like our main main tools that we're accessing a lot and then we have a whole bunch of other tools that we use for different things but maybe we're not using them every day <laughs> yeah um so uh, one of the things I try to do on this podcast uh, I'm I'm trying to discipline myself because I've already uh, 
drunk the remote work Kool-Aid. Like this is, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, but for someone who's listening, um, who, uh, might work at a, at a co-located company designer, um, and they're hearing what you're saying and, and thinking, boy, that sounds like a lot of work. What, mm-hmm. what, what's great about this? I mean, what, tell me about all of the advantages, uh, and what makes it worth it, um, to, to go through these extra processes um, to make mm-hmm. things happen. Cause I, I know it's worth it, but yeah, <laughs> let's explain to them. <laughs> we just have to convince the rest of the world. Um, so, I mean, just before I start seeing all the good stuff, I do think that also being in the same space as a team is great. Um, there's a, there are a lot of advantages for that. And, and I, I don't think remote work is for everyone in terms of i don't know i guess it's you also need a certain personality and if you're somebody who's who needs who really gets a lot of energy from being around everyone else then it's not always the best solution for those kind of people but there are a lot of good sides of course otherwise i wouldn't be doing it um so for one thing so from a i guess from a company point of view what i really enjoy is it forces the team and the company to be extremely more transparent and communicative. And, you know, I've worked in traditional jobs before and, you know, like nine to five job in an office and et cetera. And, and it was also good. Um, but there were almost more silos. There were, you know, people working in their own thing and not telling each other what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, in remote work, yes, there's a lot of information out there, but because people are constantly, if they're doing it right, um, if they're constantly updating the rest of the company on what they're working on and what they're doing, and you can join in here and there online and see what other people are working on, it's actually great for transparency. Um, so that's really good. From a personal point of view, I love the fact that I can just work from wherever I want. I mean, that's that's the main thing, right? And just having that freedom, um, it's a it's a huge privilege, and I'm very aware of it, you know. So, the fact that I can work from here and then say, okay, I'm going to, I don't know, I just feel like working from another country right now in another atmosphere. Uh, I can do that as long as I continue showing up mm-hmm. at work online. And if you have the right processes set up in the in the way that you know you can still overlap or collaborate with your colleagues even if you're in a different time zone obviously some time zone differences are much trickier to handle like if you have like a 12 hour difference that that becomes harder but it's not impossible and it doesn't mean that one person has to work i don't know from like midnight to five in the morning uh if you're doing it right there's always a way of of figuring out ways to to pass information to each other and and there's that and there's you know that gives me a lot of flexibility not only for where I want to be but also the time that I want to work at so I choose my own hours um more or less I mean actually totally um although you know obviously if I have a an online call at one specific hour then I have to show up but if I want to start working at 11 a.m and work till later and I I know a lot of people are more productive in the evening than Mm -hmm. in the morning um I I tend to be like well, maybe not evening, but I'm definitely not an early morning riser person. So, um, it's you know, it's it's better for me. I feel better. I feel like I don't have to force myself out of bed, and um, 
And yeah, I think those are for me the just the main advantages of of remote work. Um yeah. You were saying that um there's advantages, you know, for design teams that work in offices together. Um, mm-hmm. Does your team get together from time to time? Do you get together with your clients from time to time? What what role does in-person stuff play at Hano? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we do, we do um, meet on team retreats, which we organize two times a year. Um, so the whole team comes together. We will pick a destination and... We will usually, well, at the moment we've been staying in Airbnbs because we were small enough, but we are probably going to have to look at different options as we grow bigger. Um, but yeah, we'll pick a place to stay in for a week. And during that week, well, actually what we do during that week has kind of evolved. When Before I joined, it, and, and just after I joined, the team retreat tended to be a lot um, well focused around something that we wanted to improve internally. Um, was very work focused. So maybe they would spend the week changing the whole website or they would spend the week learning something new, like design thinking and how to do it remotely. Um, and we'd maybe bring in a, a workshop coach to teach us. Um, so it would be very focused on work and then we'd all leave again. Maybe on the weekend, we would kind of do more fun related activities. Um, not that working is not fun, but you know, just more like laid back. Mm-hmm. Whereas the past, uh, two or three retreats, what we've realized is that, I mean, we work really hard anyway the whole year. And while we're together, we might as well get to know each other as, as people, yep. you know, and just do these. I don't like the word team bonding, but basically that's what it is. <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> well, very corporate. <laughs> right. Exactly. Cause yeah, yeah. The team bonding is something usually that seems, uh, how do you explain it? It's forced, stuck, I think. Forced, yeah, stuck on, yeah. and and it's yeah. and and it's for a company. Uh, the TV show The Office is always the example, both the British yeah. and the American <laughs> versions. Uh, you know, the, and and you know these people that work together and they kind of resent each other in various mm-hmm. ways, and they're sick of each other, and then they're supposed to go off to some sort of open air, you know, green area, camping area (laughs) or something and, and bond. And it feels forced and weird to try to, because you're trying to redefine those relationships that have already kind of been really sunk in, but Mm -hmm. with a remote team, they, those, those bonds haven't sunk. They've sunk in, 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 in other ways, but not the, the in-person physical, the kinesthetic side of mm-hmm. things is, exactly. is missing. And so it, it ends up acting like a vacuum and it just, it just fills yeah. in and, and it's, uh, yeah. So to, so to say that sometimes, uh, you know, it's team bonding. Like I yeah. think most people in conventional companies will roll their eyes, but it is, it really is team bonding. It, it and is a team and bonding. it's really good. Yeah. It's good because you really get to know people outside of the work environment and, um, but not in a, not in a lame, cheesy, forced way. So right. right. The way we do it usually now is, um, okay, we'll, we'll pick a place and we'll say, okay, there's, there are certain days, uh, where we're going to come together. It's, it's mandatory, uh, but not because we have to have fun together, but because we have to have certain conversations about the company and where it's going, um, as a team. So we'll, we'll get together maybe for two to three hours, uh, every morning, mm-hmm. but then the rest of the day, you're free to do whatever you want. 
Um, so, um, but then people can suggest things and say, okay, I want to do like a day trip here, or I want to rent some kayaks and do this and we'll go there and who wants to join and, you know, whoever wants to join can join. And if you don't want to join, that's totally fine. Um, we did do a more structured, um, retreat like this, which was really great. Recently in March, we went to Sri Lanka and we invited a, a coach who's actually teaching, who's teaching us yoga in the morning. And then he was teaching us how to surf. And then he was giving us a yoga lesson again in the late afternoon. So we'd have to get up super early. It was kind of like, I kind of, I called it a boot camp because uh -huh. we had to wake up. I don't know. I was trying to be, we had yoga at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Uh, it was very early to avoid the the heat, the like the hottest time of the day. Because we realized that if we would go surfing, I think we would go surfing at 10. That was the best time to get some waves. And in between, we needed some breakfast, but not like a super heavy. Or maybe we'd go surfing at 9. Yeah, because people didn't want to get sunburned. The sun was really hot. So it was <laughs> get up early, do one hour of yoga to activate everything, your muscles and stuff. Then have a very light breakfast because you were going to go surfing after. So you didn't want to feel too ill. Um, and then we'd go and get the the these really great waves, try to surf for an hour or something or a bit more. And then the rest of the day, you were free to do whatever you wanted. And then the evening, we'd have a more relaxing yoga session to kind of, um, yeah, bring your your body to a more calm uh, state. And then, yeah, I knew in Sri Lanka, it was fine to go to bed not too late. You know, we'd kind of be in bed earlier than usual. Um, but yeah, and it was it was just great because we... By doing all these physical activities together, I think we had a, a lot of fun, but we also learned a lot about ourselves. And like, I personally learned a lot about my body and, and the ocean and stuff like that. Um, and it was just, uh, it's just great to see your teammates in a completely different context like that. Um, and being mindful and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's a certain um, openness and kind of vulnerability to it as well. Yeah. Uh, it's about kind of opening up and connecting. And I find, you know, um, there are certainly some companies for which like surfing or like action sports would be this kind of competitive, um, mm -hmm. you know, they might do, I don't know, golfing or tennis or things like that. And, 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 that's fine. But for me, I found that a company retreats again for distributed teams. Um, it's fun to do things where people are getting out of their element a little bit and trying something new and that to be okay that, that we're, we're falling off of surfboards and, and not necessarily being the best at things because I don't know. It's, it, I don't know. It brings some certain openness and, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, appreciation acceptance i think that mm -hmm. you know um yeah. that also ends up playing into how we want to relate to one another working together um because um yeah just it's part of communicating um in a in a remote environment you have to be able to communicate both the good things that are happening and the bad things that are happening. Uh, because if you hide the bad things that are happening, uh, they will all bubble up. And, and so we have to be accepting of that. Um, I think, yeah, I think you described it really well. I think, yeah, it, it, it did show people in a more vulnerable way. Um, and also we never force people to do all these things. We said, if you can at least try 
one time, if you can try each activity just once, that's enough, you know? <laughs> um, except for maybe, you know, if one person is afraid of deep water, obviously then don't worry. Like you really don't have to go surfing, but you know, at least come and check us out once on our surfboard and have a laugh. Um, but I think it's also very easy, like you said, to hide when you're not doing well. And in a remote team, it's, it's, uh, it can become a problem when you don't see people every day, then you're not, you don't know how they're really doing. And, right. you know, if you ask them, uh, if you, you either forget to ask them how you're, they're doing or people don't bring it up easily because they don't know how to, or if it's appropriate. Um, so coming to solve that problem, actually what we did was we created a bot on Slack that, asks people how they're doing every day twice a day mm-hmm. um so it's an automatic thing and it asks you to check in uh with a number between one to five uh one being the lowest uh saddest emoji that you can think of <laughs> and then five five being the happiest uh happiest emoji and yeah people check in every day or should check in every day and then this bot will ask you if you want to share why you're feeling that number so if you're feeling down, you can put like a two or a one and you can explain why and you can explain in as, as many words as you want. And then it will automatically post that on a on another channel where everybody um, everybody's following it. And I think that's been really, really great for us to to see how people are doing because we couldn't be responsible. You know, everybody's busy as well. It's not like everybody's going to ask everybody else, how are you doing? How are you doing every day? Um, and we realized that by making it automatic right. and making it come from also from a bot, people felt less yep. um, like they're not overburdening anyone, you know, um, when it's so automatic, just honest. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, questions like that could seem reactionary to someone's mood. What, what, you know, why are you reading something in me that you think I must be bad or I must be good, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, but to have it automated, it's, it takes that, um, that, emotion out of one side and allows people to actually speak up and actually be honest. Um, yeah. And yeah. 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 As, as um, I'm curious as someone who's sort of done a lot of thinking about uh, the philosophies around remote work, um, you're talking some about uh, the culture at, at Hanno, but talk to me sort of about kind of, culture in general and and the culture at Hanno in, in particular uh and and how it relates to remote work i mean how much of this how much of this type of culture do you feel like it's it's hard to know which comes first is it people want to have this culture and so therefore they start a company that supports remote work or people have remote work and then it creates this culture around it mm. um, Hmm, chicken and the egg. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe I think, it doesn't matter, but um, yeah, it's a good yeah, it's a good question. I think I think it depends. I mean, I I I assume, and I may be wrong, but I assume that a lot of people, first and foremost, they have a desire to work remotely, and then they start figuring out the culture um, that works best for that kind of setup. Mm, but I also know people who have heard about our culture and they say, wow, you guys have a great culture. We love to have that. And I know that a huge part of 
the way our culture is, is due to the fact that we're remote. Um, so it, it, it's constantly evolving and it's, it's not like a straightforward. Like I know, for example, with Hano, the reason it became remote or let's put it this way. It's always been remote from the start, but it wasn't intentional. So the, the founder who started the company, well, it was him and he, um, he was building websites on his own and then he needed some, well, he had more demand for websites and, uh, he couldn't handle it on his own. And then he was looking for people who could help him. And he happened to find somebody on a forum who lived in, in Russia. So the founder was based in London and he met, uh, Sergey who, uh, was based in Russia on a forum. And then they started collaborating remotely, but it just happened to be that way because, you know, this, this was working out pretty well, mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't, the idea was always to, well, one day, you know, um, as, as they were growing and they started picking up more people in the team, it was like, okay, we're, we do want to have an office in London one day, uh, in, you know, Shoreditch, wherever, where all these design agencies are based or many of them, um, in East London. And, then as they started growing and then the founder went traveling as well. And then he decided, well, I'm just going to stay around in Asia for a while. And then he ended up living there. And, and at one point, um, they did come together the first time. I think many of them came together. Um, they were, I don't know anymore if it was one year or two years after it had been created, but they, they all met in Valencia in Spain. Um, and it was great for them to meet, but then they realized we can continue working this way. Actually, we don't have to be physically in the same place all the time because apparently it's working and actually it would be cheaper for us to not be in London. Actually, some people don't even want to live in London. So, so at least with, with us, that's kind of how it happened. It wasn't an intention from the start. And then the culture kind of came along with it. And we were extremely inspired by other remote companies like, like Buffer and, and Basecamp and, um, they were blogging a lot and sharing a lot of what, you know, their processes were and what they were doing. And then Hanno was kind of picking up on those and tweaking them, adapting it to Hanno's culture. And, um, yeah, I don't know if I've answered your question, but, um, <laughs> well, it's, I mean, we, it's kind of been answered over the course of, of this talk, you know, the, the need for transparency yeah. and just, understanding what other people are doing, having that sort of peripheral understanding of what the work is that's happening is in itself a philosophy, right? It's a necessity for a remote team, but now you've Mm -hmm. got a company that values transparency um, and, and in needing to be able to communicate both the positive and the negative, you need to have a company that's more accepting. And Mm -hmm. um, um, so a lot of that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, I think it's easy for virtual teams to, to become, a bit how can i say this a bit um to work in a way that doesn't feel human or warm you know because people are just executing tasks so i've i've heard of a lot of companies that have remote collaborators and it's just like okay i send this over to this person this person does what they're told to do and then they send it back and that's done um and many times that's the kind of relationship they will especially have with freelancers yes. uh remote freelancers and and that might work you know it might maybe the freelancer even prefers that but when you have a cohesive team and you know these are full-time employees who will constantly interact with each other just executing tasks i mean you won't be motivated for a very long time to work in that kind of team uh 
maybe some people will, but I think most people will want some kind of more humane um, reaction with more empathy and more, I don't know, just just more communication that is not just I've done this and check, you know? And I think, I think that's where we're seeing that we're learning a lot about how do we, how do we humanize our team even more? Like how, I mean, we are already humans, but how do we make sure that we can have a sense of that humane level between us and, how do we connect more as people and not just as colleagues? And I think that's valid for any company, but even more so when you're remote because the interaction, the type of interaction you have is so different. And, uh, and as you scale, it becomes harder and harder or diff- more, maybe not always harder, but definitely something they have to keep thinking about because having a remote team of, I don't know, 50 people is definitely different than having a remote team from of 10 people. The amount of communication and information that you're sharing is a lot more, of course, and that can be even more overwhelming. But then how do you, how do you make people actually get to know each other? And, and especially if they're in different teams, um, within the team. Zoom, so, zoom rooms. Yeah. Zoom rooms for everyone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> So these are all topics that really interest me. And I think that's something that I try to get involved with, uh, involved in more and more in Hano is, um, like one thing I tried to bring when I joined was, um, weekly team hangouts just to talk about, just to share and what we were doing on a regular basis and, and also talk about anything else that we wanted to. And in the beginning it was hard because they didn't have this habit and you can't force it onto people. But now it's become a regular thing where people are there, you know, every Wednesday, they're like, hey, when's the team hangout happening? You know, <laughs> and I might be late to my own thing. Um, but I, obviously, I don't have ownership over this, but it's something that I really wanted to initiate. Um, something else we started doing is giving ourselves uh, very personal feedback uh, in in within the team, but like open, transparent feedback with the whole team involved um, on, you know, what what we can improve and the things that we're doing well. And, and that's been a huge success, I think. Mm -hmm. And something I've been very happy to do. The check-ins is another thing I wanted to do, just like, Hey, how are we doing? And I think a lot of these things weren't being done at Hano regularly or not at all. And it's something that I like to explore more and more. Yeah. Nice. Um, Yeah. Mm. It seems like, Everyone I talk to on this podcast has come up with some sort of a trick, a solution uh, that's unique to them. Most of the companies that are working this way are kind of inventors and early adopters. And uh, there's also sort of an experimental culture that, that, that comes on. And so a lot of things get tried. There's a lot of things that I think we've probably all tried that didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the, the ones that do work are the ones we remember. And, <laughs> and uh, yep. yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Lila, thank you so much uh, for coming on the, the podcast. This was really great. Um, if people uh, want to follow up and ask more questions, where should they get in touch with you? So they can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is, Lila Von A, so it's L-A-I-L-A-V-O-N-A, so it's like written Lila Vona. Um, Twitter and otherwise, they can check out the Hano website, which is hano.co, so that's hano.co. Um, yeah, I'd say that's that's how they can find me. <laughs> Super, great. Well, yeah. thanks so much. 
Thank you, Jeff. Thanks a lot for having me. Bye. Bye.